Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. Welcome over to Product. Today, I am here with Nash from Integrity. Nash, why don't you kick this off by giving us a little overview of your background? Thanks so much, Eric, for having me. Uh, I'm Nash. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Integrity, and we build the integration infrastructure for SaaS companies. I'm originally from Pakistan. This is my fourth startup, believe it or not. And in my previous life, I've built Pakistan's largest social network, and we've done payment startup and in the telecom space and custom telecom solutions in another one. But mostly I've been in the B2C space. And what we're doing now is just sort of bringing a lot of that B2C stuff into this new startup here. This is the first time I've done a company which is essentially a global company servicing uh, B2B SaaS companies across the globe. I am an engineer by training. I'm actually an electrical electronics engineer. So this is an interesting mix for me in what I'm doing now. So I'm interested. Uh, tell me about your early companies, You know what you learned from them, what you took away from that experience, what it was like building the biggest social network in Pakistan. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, so if you go to Twitter, I'm actually Nash, just Nash. And I was one of the very early few users. Uh, this is because when we started, so my company is called Pring. And it was around the same time Twitter was starting. And when I looked at Twitter, I recognized it immediately as something which was going to be a huge deal. And so in Pakistan back in the day, this is now mid-2000s. And smartphone wasn't really quite there. So we actually had to build an entire conversation system on top of text. And so it was sort of funny. So and Twitter started the same way. If, if you recall, you had you could text your username on Twitter on uh, this short code, which is a five-digit TWTTR short code, and you start getting updates. So we started in that same fashion. We started a little earlier than Twitter. And the idea was you can say, follow Nash, and you should text it to the short code, and you start getting my updates. And so it was a fun, quick thing where you're quibbing and you have this massive following, like some of the people that we had had million plus people. Every time they would say something, they would send out a million texts. And we built a lot of interesting stuff on that. We built entire multivariate or A-B testing on top of text. We built multiple language support back in those days. And you have to realize this is when Unicode wasn't really that well supported on these handsets. And if you go back before the iPhone era, this was those really clunky, dumb phones, which you call, but back then they were called feature phones. And those interface had could only show three or four lines at a time. And that was most of our audience. But what's really amazing about that time was BBC did this really short story on us. And it was this kid from this very remote village in Pakistan. And he would join this group and he would get every day these MCQs, these multiple choice questions, which would help him prepare for engineering school. And so he would answer these and he would learn from that. Eventually, he travels to a major city like Lahore, where I'm originally from. And over there, he joins this study group. They go and study at this public library over there. And he ends up getting into this the biggest engineering school in, in the country. And that was a, like a change in trajectory in somebody's life through texting. And so I had a lot of fun in that. Eventually, we, we had about 8 million users and we sold it to a large e-commerce player in the country. 
And this is during the time when there was no venture capital in Pakistan. So we raised close to about $2 million back in that day. And it was all essentially individuals like angel investments and in, in corporate funding and stuff like that. And as you can imagine, a social network takes a lot of capital to run. And now it's a completely different environment. So this year alone, Pakistan had more funding in 2021 than the last decade combined in just the venture world. So it's insane. But I had a lot of fun in building that. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great story. So talk to me about Integrity. What is it? Why did you start it? Yeah, so Integrity is uh, infrastructure for integrations for SaaS companies. And think of it as just like you would use Stripe for payments or you would use Twilio to messaging inside your app. You would use Integrity to add integrations inside your app. So in one of my previous companies, it was an enterprise social network, much like Facebook for work. And we didn't have any integrations very early on, and we built our first integration with Salesforce. And as you can imagine, just like a communication app like Slack or like Facebook, they get supercharged with integrations. And so most of our customers were these sales guys. And when we turned on Salesforce, anytime they had a fantastic lead coming in, we saw this activity spike up inside the network, all this flurry of messaging happening. And we realized integration is really important. This is early, maybe 2010s, 2012. And so we want to build more integrations. Now, around that time, we, just like a lot of the other players around 2014, we decided to use these offsite integrators like Zapier. And so when, when a customer used to come to us and say, hey, we need an integration, we'd say, sure, you can go to Zapier to build those integrations out. The problem was most of our customers weren't that sophisticated. And we saw a huge churn, up to 85, 90% of the customers, we would lose them because they just didn't understand how to set that up. And we ended up collecting all these uh, usernames and password of Zapier, and we were just setting this up. And so what we did was we built the same Salesforce integration within the app. And we saw that if you had an integration, which was just a button, which a user would click, activate, and they're done, it had a 30 times higher conversion rate. So we were not 30%, but 30 times. And it sort of blew our mind how important the whole experience over there was. And so we realized that building integrations inside your app in a way which is congruent with your UI or UX is really, really important. But there just wasn't a company doing this. And so I, the head of server-side and integrations and a third engineer, we quit to start this company. And our goal here is to provide fast-moving fast-growing product teams, the ability to create fantastic, what we call integration experiences. And so if you are a product team and you believe that a fantastic UI, a fantastic UX is critical to your success, you will not outsource your integration experience. You will not have consultants typically do it. You will not hand it off to some offset integrator. You will want that to be a first-class citizen within your UI, within your application. And Integrity makes that possible. And so we tend to help you with the product that we do. It helps you with the whole end-to-end -end thing from creating, managing, deploying the integration, customizing UI, UX, all of that within your application. So you mentioned integration experience. Uh, I've heard you guys talk about that before. Can you define that a little bit more? What do you mean by that? So, so typically, you know, you have your standard the, the UI that a user has or a UX that a user has. And the integration experience is not just the part where a user interacts with, for example, a set of form where they explain what they're integrating. It's also what happens behind the scenes once integration is set up. So for example, I might want to send a tweet every time I create a piece of content in my, for example, WordPress. 
Or for example, I might want to import my data, my customer data from Salesforce, let's say into Pendo. Now, how the data gets transformed, whether there were European dates which had to be converted to American dates, whether you want to import all your data or some of your data, the users don't want to mess with that. They just want that to work. And so when we think about the integration experience, it encompasses all of that, the stuff the user sees, the stuff the user does not see behind the scenes. And so if you are a product leader, you want to think about this holistically. So Integrity is spearheading this movement of taking back control of your integration experience. So it bringing back that integration control to product teams is bringing back the experience back inside your app rather than sort of abdicating it or handing it off to these external services. So, you know, as a product leader, why are integrations important today? Like, So, yeah, um, one of the things, and if you have to look at this from a multi-generational lens, integrations have existed since the day a company bought two software. They had to talk to each other. But over time, what has happened is if you go back maybe 10, 15 years, integrations were very sort of enterprise, very large scale. But one of the things which happened in 2012 is that two companies, Zapier and IFTTT, if this and that came along, and they sort of demonstrated that anybody should be able to build integrations. But since then, if you pick up any app, any public SaaS company, all of them are essentially integration companies. They have hundreds of integrations. And so our approach here today is that what we're doing is we're selling a lot more apps to users. Users, especially thanks to the whole pandemic, are now digitalizing really, really quickly. They're buying more and more applications. Users are reaching like this breaking point. It's like this app fatigue. And you're switching between these 10, 20, 30 apps. And you want these apps to work with each other. And if they don't, you're ending up being like this you know, digital shoveler who just keeps on moving data between these apps. So it's so if you're a sales or a, or a product guy, you're selling your app to a new customer, your customer no longer wants to start from scratch. They already have their user data. They already have their customer and their employee data. They want to get up and running really quickly. So it's really important for them that these tools work well together. And it's because of the fact that we have so many of these apps now that we're using that integration has become really center in what we're doing. You want things to work seamlessly between each other. And if you want to continue on this rate of technological growth, if you want to keep on adding more apps to our stack, we need integrations to work seamlessly. Imagine having twice as more software that you're using today in 10 years, which is very likely going to happen. And without integrations, that just doesn't work. So I think integration has become a really key part of both why you choose a software and to how you keep your business running. Yeah, I mean, it feels like to me, if I'm a product leader in a SaaS company, integrating with the other things in the enterprise is essential. And the other things in the enterprise, or at least in my customer's enterprise, it seems like there's way more of those things than there were five, 10, you know, even two years ago. That's right. Uh, it's actually interesting. I look at the tools we use today and almost half the tools that I'm using today did not exist five years ago or were not really that much adopted. Even though Zoom exists, existed for some time, I think it really everybody got to know Zoom in the last couple of years, I believe, or I feel in that. And so similarly, there are a number of things which you're using today, which just weren't there. And five years from now, we'll have tools we're using, which we just aren't today, which are now completely essential. So that onslaught of getting better, of having these apps, which do improve your work, it's going to keep on happening. But without integrations, it's just really hard to maintain that pace of growth. Yeah, that makes sense. So why shouldn't product leaders build their own? 
So I think that's the, the biggest problem that we have. When we talk to people in product, they all know they have to build integrations. It's very rare for us to have a conversation where the product leader does not understand that they need an integration. They, they do understand that. The problem is twofold. One is that to ask engineering to build integrations is to take that precious bandwidth away from product features, right? Because engineering is one of your most expensive resources. And the second is that even engineering doesn't like working on integration. No engineer wakes up and says, I'm going to work on my 10th integration today. That doesn't really happen in the integration in the engineering world as well. So as a result, product leaders would consider integrations a necessary evil and offload them or hand them off to either these consultants or outsourcing firms, which may not really understand your UI UX needs, who might not really have that the same gene that you have while you build your product, or they might sort of do it with these offsite integrators who have their own goals, their own UI, their own UX, and they're not necessarily in alignment with what you're doing. And so if there was a way for product leaders to implement their integrations, which would be less of a time suck, would be low code or even no code, which what Integri does. I think if we give them the key or the solution to integration, the rolling out integrations, prior people are actually very keen on building those experiences. They actually love implementing integrations and seeing it come alive using their own UI, using their own UX, because we provide our, our technology is custom in a way that you can change the UI, the look and feel, the skin, and however you like. It's something which product leaders really love. And the payoff is high. Like I mentioned, if you have integrations inside your app, that has a 30 times higher setup rate for users compared to these other integrations which are not on your platform. Yeah, so I mean, it, it sounds like that you're moving the responsibility for integrations from the dev layer up to product. And that seems to be where software companies or people building software are more likely to embrace it. Is that accurate? Is that what you see? So that's actually a really good point. Most integrations were typically, if you look at uh, like 10, 15, 20 years ago, CIOs or the, the IT department would be responsible for integrations. And I'm an engineer, but I'd say that a lot of the reason why integrations sort of haven't been that great is because they weren't really built with a product lens. It was built with an engineering lens. And so what Integrity does is it involves all stakeholders. So while the people in product do spearhead integrations, and I would argue that whether it's integrity or not, product people should definitely design the concept, the flow, the UI, the UX, the IX, the integration experience of the integration. Once that has been understood, then it goes to engineering rather than just you know giving it to engineering, which we do see a lot of these companies do. They think of it as an API-specific thing. And so it definitely is elevating integrations from a software or engineering-specific ask to a first-class citizen on the UI UX level at par with all your other features. And like I said before, previously this wasn't as possible because the technology just wasn't quite there yet. With Integri, we're hoping to change that. We're hoping to unlock what product people are able to do thanks to some of the advances we've seen in low code and no code. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, from a user's perspective, I mean their expectations changed a lot as far as what they, if I'm buying a CRM package, do I expect it to integrate with my marketing automation and the rest of my sales and marketing stack? I mean, it feels like more and more the end buyers are getting more sophisticated about what they expect to be out of box in the form, not just of integrations, but frankly, training and other things in the product. That's true. But I think this is credit to the product community, not only has the user becomes sophisticated, but also what technology can do has also become 
much easier to use. I mean, before Salesforce came along, it wasn't uh, CRM was limited to these larger companies, but thanks to concepts of SaaS and things like that, any company in the planet can now deploy a CRM. And I think the same has happened with the expectations around integration. Because I'm buying these apps, I might already be an existing CRM user. I want this to work with my existing data. And so, because if you start any new app, well, the first thing you do, you have to set it up. And inevitably, you have to import your data in some shape or form. And if you just are able to give like a one-click import experience or at least some way to link to an existing app, you can pull stuff in, it helps you get your users set, get up and running really quickly. And so that is just good for you as the product owner, but it's also good for users who are able to get things done quickly. Uh, and I think as users have become more sophisticated, we move from like people in sales using from one app to 15 apps today. They have used, they are using far more apps and they have this expectation that the UI just works. There's not a lot of running around, which was what integrations used to be in the past. So I think there's definitely a higher bar for integrations today than it was 10, 15 years ago. And I think that's good because ultimately you want people in your company to work on the creative aspects of their job rather than this repetitive, you know, shoveling bits and bytes between apps. And that's where we want the world to move towards. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it feels like you, you mentioned no code, low code. I've seen this big trend, you know, when building product where PMs, you know, should try to buy or rent in the case of AWS or in Google Cloud as much of that underlying piping and, and infrastructure, uh, so to speak, as they can, right? Like if it's not your core competency, it seems like the trend is starting to be, you know, get that from other providers as opposed to build it out yourself. Do you see that? No, that's true. Uh, but I would say two things. One is around 15 years ago, so I mentioned Pring. In Pring, we build our own data center. <laughs> it was a huge pain. I, we had to learn civil engineering, power engineering, and all that stuff. We had to have those competencies. And ultimately, the math just didn't work in the favor of building your own infra. Ultimately, you know, AWS and all that has won. Now, traditionally, if you're using something that works in the backend, like, for example, like a Twilio API to send a message or transacting something through Stripe, it typically works well. Something just behind the scenes. SaaS companies have been less willing to use something which is front user facing, or at least something which the user interacts with. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was reading a book by the Twilio CEO, and he mentions, which came out this year, that if you should own the front end UI of your customer. But I've seen that is changing now. Even Stripe gives you this ability to build your own checkout experience now. And a lot of these companies are sort of helping you do so. But these, the premise remains the same. You want to focus on what you're good at, what your core is, what differentiates you. All the other things, like whether it's a database or a backend or a messing or a payments thing, that should just work for you. And ultimately, I think it's really exciting for a startup to start today and out of the box just provide 100 integrations just on day one. This would have been unthinkable five years, 10 years ago. So I think that's super exciting and that's really good. That's a huge win for users as well. Yeah, and it's something that the startups can sell, right? They can monetize that portion too. That's right. Um, I think monetization of integrations, if you look at any of the good players in SaaS or one of the leaders in SaaS, they have found interesting ways to align their pricing, their monetizations with integration usage. And so you want integrations to be designed in such a way that the more integration usage there is, the more revenue you make, as opposed to thinking it's a necessary evil and 
we want to minimize integration usage, which we've seen as well, depending upon how you approach integrations. But again, I'd say using offsite integrators, while they solve the problem today in a decent way, not as great, it also, the trade-off you're making is you leave money on the table as it comes to monetizing those integrations. But I think once you bring those integrations in-app, once you build a better experience, you're able to monetize them better as well. Yeah, I, you see this trend continuing? I mean, it seems to be a big trend. I mean, you can think of Pendo as like, hey, we we give you instrumentation right out of box through our snippet of code. We give you guide creation and deployment you know, out of box. We give you analytics, you know, product analytics out of box. You see people like Auth0 or Autho or however you say it, you know, giving you that layer, Okta, similar, you know, that whole OSS authentication layer. You see things like the work OS are doing, what you're doing at Integri. It seems like this is a big trend in, you know, over the last couple of years where startups are going to keep pushing into these different areas of like, we will help you do this right out of box so you don't have to, you know, code it yourself. And if that's true, you know, what other areas do you see moving in that direction? Everything, I think. And I think it's, it's great. I personally think it's fantastic. Let me look at a car. When you say a car today, you think about power steering, you think about you know airbags, you think about seatbelts and all these cool things. But today it's even like automatic lane changing and stuff like that. And a car 50 years ago was still called a car, but it had a lot less features. So today I look at software the same way. So when you have fresh software, brand new software, even if it's by one guy, they can implement, you know, single sign-on with all these other services using Auth0. They can have like multiple sign-on with, you know, with Okta and stuff like that. They can have instrumentation with Pendo all out of the box. And what is also very exciting is the way the ecosystem has decidedly has sort of the direction they've chosen here is they have these really generous free tiers as well. So if you're trying out something, you can pull something together really quickly. And I think that's really great. In terms of other areas, I think. If you are a hacker, if you build something and any aspect of something that you have to do by hand, which is not your core, that is an opportunity. And so there are whole companies that are to be made. If you just take away that 5% every company has to do, if you aggregate that, I think there's a whole huge opportunity over there. And there's like a whole bunch of things that you can look into in that. I'll put you on the spot. If you weren't doing integrations, what other one would you do? (laughs) Uh, it's, it's very interesting. Before I started Integri, I went into the soul searching phase in which I shortlisted maybe five or 10 ideas. And I went completely like off the rails. <laughs> and so the, the ideas, which was like a Uber for farming, a sorry, an electric car for the everyman, but would be targeted towards the region, like the, the Pakistan, India region at large. There was a concept of proto stores, which was essentially a way of backend as a service for retail stores. So, you know, I went all over the map. Ultimately, those are areas which I really didn't have that much of an experience in. So it would have been a multi-year endeavor. But what about product? Like if you're selling to a product person like you are today, you know, instead of outsourcing integrations, you know, what would you say, hey, you should outsource X? Good question. One of the pain points I do feel is around content management systems. So for example, I don't know if you've used maybe stuff like Notion or ClickUp or Coda. They yeah. provide fantastic multiplayer editing tools. And so there's a whole class of tools like Zendesk, which have these help articles and you have these whole knowledge bases. And there's just no easy way to collaborate on that. Whereas if you just completely replace them with things like that, I think there's a big opportunity over there, which it's still not really well exploited. Uh, so I think 
content, which is multiplayer within the company. I think that it could be a potential thing. That's the one which comes to mind. And there's a bunch of engineering things, which I think should be simpler. There's no clear winner over there. For example, even today, an infinitely scalable SQL is still very expensive. Like there are Google Cloud Spinner, stuff like that. But I do feel that a good scalable database you can just plug in and start at free would work. But that's just the engineering and me talking. But from a prior perspective, the most recent pain I felt was this. It's around being able to build collaborative content on rapidly between all members of your team in which you can review and stuff like that as part of your knowledge base or stuff and maybe, you know, your help and support. Got it, got it. It's not a, it's not a fun answer, but yeah. No, no, it's good. It's good. One of the things like, obviously we're, or maybe not so obviously, but I think this podcast will be out in the next few weeks. So it's like we were still going to be in more or less pandemic mode. You know, Integrity has been distributed company since day one, right? In, in 2017, when you guys were starting, talk to me about that. Why do a distributed company versus in-person, you know, how do you think it's better? Yeah, so we actually consciously decided to make Integrity a distributed company since the beginning. It is, again, 2017, pre-pandemic and stuff like that. We felt that you needed a lot more discipline in terms of communication to be a distributed company. And so we actually, in, inside our company, we heavily discourage chat and calls, uh, funnily enough. So if you're a distributed company and you're against chats and video calls, then how do you work? And so the answer is that 90, 95% of work should not be chat or calls. It should be the actual work artifact. And so, for example, we have a, a management-wide meeting on a regular interval, that is, that's the beginning of the month and so on. What we found out was that if every person who has to make a presentation, instead, they just write the stuff they have to present down and everybody has to review it before they come to the meeting, the quality of discourse, the feedback was really phenomenal. And that was the impetus that we had, that uh, we have to have a disparate company where people focus more on long form. They spend more time thinking about the actual thing rather than you know struggling with the presentation itself. And so we saw some of that before we started the company. And so when we started Integrity, we realized we wanted that as part of our DNA. There's also something about writing. Uh, there's something about writing down what you're thinking about before jumping right into a conversation with someone that helps you hash out what you're thinking through. And of course, there are some things you still should do, like brainstorms and maybe sensitive topics and social stuff you should do face-to-face in, in a live call, stuff like that. But I feel the quality of discourse in a distributed company that uses writing as a core way of communication, I feel it's better. And this is my fourth company. I've done other startups before. And I do feel that has been a recurring pattern. And this is also very common in other companies. Amazon is famously a, a writing-heavy culture as its stripe. And I think a, a distributed company just takes that and dials it up to 10. Yeah, I, I, I've interviewed a few people that are memo-driven companies, like as opposed to you know meetings, discussions, it's asynchronous, like pitches, and then criticism of that all happening, you know, asynchronously, depending upon when they happen to be working. It's it's interesting. I mean, you definitely have to hire differently too if you're a very you know writing-focused right, company because then you have to have people that communicate well in that medium. So has that affected your hiring? Absolutely. So we filter for or look for these attributes. Some people are naturally very extroverted, and we have extroverts in our company. So Integrity is, is not just distributed in space. We also say we're distributed in time. So you can work at any time, and you can work from any place. So if you're an extrovert, you're able to 
work from different places as well. So you get your fix in other ways as well. In terms of hiring, it takes a bit of getting used to. It, it takes a get a bit of understanding how this way of working is. And we have some ways to filter for that. We look for existing work that you might have done in writing, in communicating. For some people, it doesn't work. For some people, they are very meeting-driven, especially if people in management or leadership, they're very heavy on if there's something, I would just talk through it. And so that definitely makes an impact. Uh, we have a, an elaborate process when we hire. We go through these exercises that we send over and we filter through that. But also we get the benefit of being able to hire from anywhere in the world. And that has been since the beginning. As a matter of fact, a lot of folks who, uh, we saw this in the pandemic, right? So San Francisco suffered the greatest shrinking in terms of people moving. And all, so did all the major these centers. New York faced the same thing. And so a lot of people who are getting, they're able to earn from anywhere they want. They're able to then shift to anywhere that would be lesser expensive or they'd get a better deal on the house and stuff like that. So I think there are many benefits that comes with a place like that. So it helps in recruitment. That freedom, it definitely sort of, you're able to bring in a lot more people who would otherwise you would filter out because of location or time zones and stuff like that. So you expand time zones, you expand location reach, you kind of lose some people depending upon their communication style, I would guess. That's right. And obviously, you know, not every company style is meant for everybody. So I think that's just natural for any company. You want to pick and choose a company which matches your lifestyle. It matches how you work. So this is a conversation both potential employee and employer have, obviously, through the hiring process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, what advice, you know, I mean, we're talking about distributed, but we're also talking about sync versus async, right, in these kind of environments. What what advice would you have for other companies that are looking at having a distributed company and having this asynchronous kind of culture? What advice would you give them versus, you know, uh, an in-person company that has a synchronous oriented culture or even a synchronous oriented culture with multiple offices? Yeah, so, uh, and so synchronous is obviously, you know, like having a phone call or having a, a face-to-face meeting. And I think the biggest thing I'd say is in a synchronous world, which is the default, every time you have the urge to, I want to get on a call with someone or I should start this chat conversation, you should ask yourself, is this the best way to approach this? So, for example, if there's a question regarding a code problem, the best thing would be to put a comment on your common code system like GitHub or something like that. Because what chat does is chat induces urgency. So similarly, we internally use different software like Convo or we recently shifted to ClickUp for internal documentation. And you have to have a healthy culture around or or guidelines around how do you want to start a conversation. And so we have like a bunch of guidelines around what questions you should go to your head before you want to set up this meeting. So there's this meme that, you know, yet another meeting, which should have been an email or, you know, so uh, a lot of that happens in, in companies. And so what I highly recommend that if you're in a sync company, take a look at anything you're doing and question whether this should be, is there a better way to do this? Whether that is communicating through a document, if there's already a document, putting a comment there might be the best thing to do. If it's a design review you're doing on Figma, it might make sense, or you might just giving feedback. It might just make sense to put comments over there. And there are not many tools now. So I think all tools provide collaboration in some shape or form. It makes sense to consider those first instead of this knee-jerk, let's get on a call, let's get on a chat. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I think in a vast majority of cases, it just makes better sense to 
go down this written route. So how do you, I'm curious, documents versus emails, do you have any guidance for that? A hundred percent. So for internal company stuff, a hundred percent documents. I'll give you a quick example. Notion has now popularized this, but just imagine a company that starts on Notion on day one or ClickUp or any documentation system. If you join such a company, you will be able to see all the documents and all the decisions and all the discussions they've done since the beginning. And if you want to look at something, if you're handed over something, you can very quickly look up what has the conversation been. Whereas if I am joining the company and let's say I am filling up this new product role and maybe the person who I'm filling in for has left the company, their inbox is now, is completely useless now because it's their personal inbox, how it's organized is up to them. Nobody searches other employees' inbox. That's just creepy, weird, and it just, just doesn't happen. And so when a person leaves a company, the sum total of their knowledge is typically inside their email, and that knowledge dies with them when they leave the company. And But with a common documentation tool, you're able to retain that knowledge. And so I highly recommend for larger companies to have some sort of like an internal librarian, which helps uh, employees understand how to file and find information and to use a tool which makes that really easy. We internally have a system of, of how we file things. So Integri, if you, if you look at it from the inside, it's like a big book. There's this large table of contents, and then you can go inside each section. There's a section product. Inside product, there's a section for features and stuff and thinking. And you know, So you can actually zoom into wherever you want, but you should be able to find anything if you're just browsing along. So I do think that a document-based approach is much, much better internally versus email. Obviously, when it comes to the external world, there is yet no good replacement for email. Slack Connect has been doing some inroads over there, but I prefer email to Slack on most days. Yeah. I mean, you ever thought of like just sharing documents? Just like send an email with a link to a document. Does that kind of stuff work for trying to, you know, not lose some of that knowledge that's, you know, internal, external collaboration? Absolutely. But the problem with some of that is, Documents are created really rapidly, and if there's no glue which connects them together, like a, a way to file them or a way to categorize them, which is useful and discoverable, those documents will eventually live out, and, and it'll be hard to find them unless you use Google search in a way which helps you. But definitely you can. And look, I'm not saying my way is the right way or there's one way of doing that, but any sort of approach in which people are able to do things on their own time, be reflective, be thoughtful, not be in the pressure of a meeting to think on their feet. In a meeting, you're presenting information live, whereas if you're given that information earlier on, you're able to think, reflect, percolate on that, and you're able to be more thoughtful in your questions and your feedback. I think there's a lot to be said on a memo-driven company. Yeah, I would I would agree with you there. I mean, how many, a lot of us are always pulled into meetings and we're presented with something and it's like, tell me what you think. So, and now it's instant reaction no research, no like pontificating or pondering or being your own version of the thinker, so to speak. So you worry a little bit about how good is that feedback you're giving people, given that that might be the first time you've even heard of that concept, right? So I, I do get a lot of that. I was also thinking about this whole thing of like, you know, I use superhuman on the email side. It definitely makes my email more productive. Yeah. But should we rethink email altogether? 
and what the purpose of email is. I mean, you see some of that Slack taking away a chunk of email. There's people that, uh, that think of email as a communications tool. In a lot of cases, in, in my case, it turns into a task list in some ways too, but it's not built like a task list. Does that make sense? It's like, oh, I have these yeah, yeah. 50 emails I have to respond to, which end up being tasks. Like I need to do this and send this to someone. So it fulfills a task that was associated with this email. But email is not built for that. So it's that whole process. Sometimes I think we should rethink how we work a little bit that way too. And emails at the heart of both the good things about work and the bad things about work. That's right. And, and there have been several attempts, but nothing has really stuck as a replacement for email. And email is not going away anytime soon. As a matter of fact, email volume has increased every single year and continue on. Email as a task list is interesting. And in my point of view, very stressful. It's like giving the world access to your task list for anybody can just come in and insert into that. And, and well, let's be serious. Even if we don't want people to do that, they do that. I and mean, we all have a boss. An email comes across and there's a task associated. I mean, if you're yeah. a CEO, you got a board, right? No, I love, I love Superhuman. And I'm on Inbox Zero, but I will tell you this. Keeping Inbox Zero is super stressful. Like you're constantly trying to oh, totally. keep on that zero. Totally. I like, to want to get to it every day. And then I'm like, right now I'm looking at because I have a number of email boxes now. And one of them is like 39 keeps like it was 100. It was 200 this morning, something. I was like, I got to get to zero. Uh, <laughs> so there is there is a stress associated with that. Yeah, you're right. But, but I, the good thing about email versus chat. So I do prefer email or, or chat is email is still long form. So the person could actually really mention what they're looking for. They can add images and stuff like that. Whereas sometimes you get a chat message, you'd be like, hi, there, <laughs> you know, and you're like, yes, I'm here. And then, you know, you have to get the ball rolling and then they'll ask some basic question. And so, and the other problem with chat is that the search in chat is just not useful because there are these little tiny sentences and just finding anything, like try finding an address in your iMessages. Somebody send it to you sometime. Oh, it's, it's, near, it's crazy. Impossible. And when people send me files in Slack and other things, that's even worse. Now I got like, Files and email, files and Google Docs, files and Slack. That's ridiculous. You don't know where to look to find the file. When did they, where did they send that? What medium? Disaster. Yeah. But there are some companies that are working on unifying the document or like this artifact discovery process. For example, I think there's FYI search. I forget the name. I think Simul's company. But essentially, it's, it's like a whole bunch of integrations, which is able to, you search something, is able to search in all of your SaaS tools. It's a... A middle solution, but it's not quite there. But I do agree. There has to be something better there. But I think not just the tool, is also the way human behavior has to maybe change in this. I'm subscribed to so much stuff that in my, I love Superhuman, I use Superhuman. When my other folder gets, it always reaches a thousand and I just select all and just mark it as red. And these are all, you know, marketing stuff, social media updates, or it's newsletters, which I really thought I had the time to read. <laughs> but now it's just this huge pile of guilt. But the good thing is email is biodegradable. So if you just leave it piling on, I think the, that email just <laughs> goes away. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah uh, my, my other folder is, is a conundrum. I, I forget now the command for uh, Mark All is Red. It should be one that I know instantly. But yes, yes. I, I, um, command A and E. So, <laughs> or Red. I think it's Command A and no, I, I just, you, I think you just have to hit that. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, well, this has been fun. I know we're getting to the end of the podcast right now. So I'll turn it back to Nash. What's your favorite product? So uh, I'm not sure if it's my favorite product, but what happened was, well, it's the Bose headset. It's a noise canceling headset. 
And it's very funny because I originally bought it because I was traveling a lot on the BART and the BART, once it goes underground, gets really, really shrill. And I was traveling on it twice or twice a day and I thought it's going to damage my hearing. So I bought these noise canceling headphones and I wear these when I was traveling on airplanes and trains. But then the pandemic came along and it turns out it's a fantastic tool to have in your house when you have kids around. It really sort of minimizes a lot of the noise over there. Not perfect, but it does it to a degree that it makes your environments more workable. And I think it's a fantastic piece of technology. The guy who sold me the Bose, uh, I bought this at an airport. He's like, you know, uh, they could make this even higher, like noise cancellation, but it would be illegal. But I'm hoping there's some bootleg version of getting that high quality noise cancellation somewhere. Awesome. Awesome. So one final question, Nash, three words to describe yourself. God, I hate that question so much. I, I tend to not think about myself. I avoid that at, at all costs. I just find it strange. And I'd rather just talk to people about them. I don't know. I'm, I guess uh, human. I love making a lot of ton of mistakes. I'm also driven, but there's just not an interesting answer here, I suppose. But I guess just that it's, it's human, it's driven. And yeah, that's just two words. To, will two words cut it? Yeah, two or two are fine. I'm not going to push you on it. I think it's going to be interesting. I'm on a, this is episode I think 140. You know, three years or so of podcasts. It'll be interesting to go back at, and look at the three words and just do like see what people had picked, where the overlap is, and how that differs based on CPOs and you know user experience or design people and CEOs. I think what's there's the best, interesting data there. What's the best answer you've gotten so far? I don't know that there is a best answer, right? Something that stood out. There's definitely people that have been more creative. None of them pops immediately to mind. I I once answered this question by describing myself as a a salty ocean breeze. Three three questions, three Uh, words. Uh, But there's people that have described that as like, you know, a phrase as opposed to three adjectives. Those can be kind of interesting. But I, I just find it, you know, there's a lot of overlap with product people. There's a lot of driven. There's a lot of curious there's a lot of, you know, human or empathetic, that kind of thing. I think, you know, product leaders tend to have a strong sense of empathy because I think in order to build a product that appeals to a broader group of people, you have to have a strong skill, I would even say, of empathy. And you, you see that in a lot, just like your human aspect. Um, and we do see a lot of, you know, ambitious, driven, go-getter kind of words too. I think maybe some people are more hesitant to pick those at times uh, and they're picking you know softer words but I, I it's fun i'm gonna have to dig in you know one of these weekends to like okay what's the list of everyone's three words and build a, a, fun a spreadsheet yeah yeah <laughs> it says a lot about us that we think this is a fun project <laughs> but thank you nash this was awesome um i greatly enjoyed it thank you eric i had a tremendous amount of fun here and i look forward to hearing this once it's out <laughs>